Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Mark. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Tomorrow, right? 
And where does he live? He lives in every one of us. Amen. The body of Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a mystery how Jesus' blood is flowing through every believer. Amen. That's the Holy Spirit that comes in and convicts us and tells us what's right and what's wrong. And there's things that we don't want to do anymore. The Holy Spirit just gives us new desires to want to come to church and to, you know, be joyful and help people. And, be, you know, instead of being angry and bitter, replace it with love and patience. In kindness, boy, what a journey, huh? Yeah. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for putting us on the right path. Right? Amen? Yeah. Awesome. All right, we are going to go in James chapter 1. And boy, there's a lot in this chapter, so yeah. I don't even know if I want to stop. Yeah. I'm going to have to keep reading through this one. But it's a good, good chapter. James is a great book for believers that are on that, you know, their spiritual journey to grow. He tells us not just to be hearers of the word, but to grow and to become and do what you do what you believe. Be doers of the word, so people can see Jesus Amen. instead of the devil. You know, when we get angry and bitter, the devil shows up in our lives, mm -hmm. and it's like a root of bitterness and poison that it, it keeps people from the body. It, it makes people divide and, and get you know conflict and misery it's all connected once you get angry everything else just pours all the negativity just pours back into your life again you get indifferent you don't like anybody you're miserable you're not grateful anymore you just, it's like you've been chewing on nails all week you know and you're all, you're, you know we're all mad at people we're mad at the world we're mad at where we are I wish I had a better life I wish I had a better house I wish I had a nicer car I wish I had a better job and God says, well, what, you're not happy with what I gave you? Amen. Maybe I'm going to have to take it all from you. Maybe she was like living in a tent. And then you'd be really grateful. Because <laughs> he can sweep it out from us any day. That, that, that negative attitude is what, you know, the devil just loves to get into a believer's heart yep. and make us miserable. Because then we're not talking about Jesus at that point. Yeah. We, don't want, we don't even want to pray. We're in that state of um, whatever you want to call it. Backslide, whatever you want to call it, setbacks or whatever. Well, let's see what James has to say about it. Because the Bible says there's going to be troubles in our life. And a lot of people go to churches that tell them that their life is going to get great. As you believe in Jesus, you should be rich and prosperous. You know, and, and they tell them all these things. And then, you know, all these hardships come to them. And they say, that's a bunch of baloney. And they never really talk right. So they just walk away and say, this, is, this isn't right. All right, let's see what it says here. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, right then and there, you know that the world doesn't talk that way to you. The world doesn't tell us to have joy when we're in problems. They tell us to go to counseling or therapy or do something else or do something to make yourself feel better. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What's he trying to say? He said, you'll be mature and complete, and you won't always be wanting things. You'll just be content where you are. You accept your lot in life, say, thank you, Jesus, for waking me up today. I'm grateful for everything you've given me, and thankful, and I'm, I'm good. You know, when somebody says, I'm good, what's going on? I'm good. Everything's good, right? You got a house, you got a, you got food in your stomach, you, you got transportation, whatever. Everything's good. 
And then you could just be, you know, confident in Christ, saying, you know, heaven's going to be my home. I'm thanking God that he's making me comfortable down here until we get home with him. Now it says, if you need wisdom, verse 5, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people shouldn't be, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. And you see, people are so unstable, sometimes you see them come to church, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they believe what they hear out in the world, and sometimes they believe what's in the Word. Oh, I don't know what to believe today, and I don't know this. Very unstable. But a Christian that's rooted and grounded in the Word becomes very stable, saying, I'm not going to be shaken by all this stuff. The Word of God tells me that He's going to take care of it, and everything that God put in front of me that I can handle, that I can, be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we don't start to get all shaky because we're on a firm foundation. But unfortunately, people are not well-rooted and grounded in the Word of God because Jesus fought the devil with Scripture. When the devil came into his head, he said, it is written. It is written. So if we don't have this script, these scriptures stored, when the devil comes, we don't fight him with scripture. We try to fight him in the flesh. And forget it. Once we try to fight him in the flesh, he wins. We can't beat the devil. He's too strong. So now look what it says. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor... Now, now, now listen to what it says in verse 9. <laughs> now, it, this is such a contradiction to the way the world is. It says, believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. You see, when somebody doesn't have a lot, they can really latch on to Jesus because that's all he has. Now, everybody's got material possessions. They've got responsibilities all over the place. But somebody who doesn't have a lot of riches... Just has Jesus, and that's the richest thing you can have. Because God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. Here we go. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Now, he says, I'm going to bless those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Not, eh, get all freaked out about it. He said, patiently, patiently endure. He says he blesses those. So, if you want to get a blessing, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation... Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. And remember, remember, when you are being tempted, how many of us still get tempted? It says to remember. Now listen what it's saying. The church, the, the, the Spirit is speaking to us right now. It says, and when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. A lot of people blame God. Then it says, where does temptation come from? It comes from our own desires. 
which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to... Now, when somebody says they're born again, look at verse 18. This is what it means. He chose to give birth to us by what? Giving us his true word. When you're born again, you're born again through the word of God. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Imagine, we're God's prized possessions. Now, do we always feel like prized possessions? No. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we're not. See, God goes way beyond our emotions and our feelings, and he tells us the fact, you're my prized possession, my brother, my sisters, my children. I see you like I see Jesus. I don't see your sins anymore. They're wiped clean. They're washed away. Imagine, God doesn't see him anymore. We do, but God doesn't. He wants us to get to the point where we don't see our sin, we see, our, we see his son. Instead of sin conscious, we're son conscious. See, that's maturity. We understand that our sin nature has been done away with, and so we don't have to no longer obey it anymore. We obey who? The son, not the sin. That's what maturity is all about. But those voices come in, right? We get the voices of the, the good stuff, right? Oh, you know, you know the, the, the ministry needs help somewhere, but it's, it's my night to go do something. <coughs> the spirit comes in, right? And the devil comes in and says, oh, but you work so hard. Stay home, you're tired. You shouldn't have to go to church. And the spirit's telling you, come to church, I have something to tell you. Right? And people, the, 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 fight, the fight comes. And then we have to, what do we obey? He's going to win. So if you obey the flesh, you don't come to church and you stay home. And then afterwards you feel guilty that you didn't come. But when you fight it and you come, when you know that you, you wanted to do something else, you feel great afterwards. They say, I'm so glad that I follow Jesus instead of my flesh. I'm getting an amen here. It's, 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 it's delayed gratification. <coughs> because it's guilt and shame to keep us out of church. All right. We're getting something good here. No. He chose to give birth and his prize. Look what it says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Here's the problem. We're not quick to listen. We're quick to speak. Yep. This is what it is. Usually when the first words that come out of our mouth in a conflict is the wrong stuff. We should stay, stay back and let the Holy Spirit come in and, 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 and let that anger subside for us before yeah. you start saying something. Because that snap anger comes out then you say something you didn't mean. It says, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. What do we do? We get angry first, and we don't listen, but we're first. the first thing we do is speak. So it's the opposite of what he's trying to say what we can do. And the only way that's going to happen is if you have the Holy Spirit is the one who's running your life. He's in control, the Holy Spirit. You know what you would do and what you would say, but you know what the Holy Spirit would say? If it's not edifying and good, it wouldn't say anything. Right. So now comes a time, what are you going to do? Are you going to zip it? Or are you going to spew that poison out of your mouth and ruin your testimony? Mm -hmm. And that's just what the devil loves. So wouldn't it be great if we could just be quick to listen? 
slow to speak. A lot of times you can't wait to get the words out. You know, we've got to get them out. And we, feel we get so angry so quickly. I mean, especially with our spouses. I mean, they can say three words. <laughs> and we get so angry so quickly. But, you know, when you're out in public, you don't get angry quickly over a few words. You just, man, they're having a bad day. But we don't give the people next to us the same kind of... Uh, the grace, no. Great. It's like the button, you know? All right, I'm going to get him. <laughs> you know, you just come home from work. Hello. You didn't put your socks away again. And it's like, you just had a day of hell out in the shop, in the, in the work field, right? And you're like, really? My socks? <laughs> and, you know, not knowing what you just went through, right? That one more thing that... After all day of getting it, that, those socks come in, right? And it just, the whole day comes, and you start growling at everybody. <laughs> That's how quick it is. Because as I've been growing in my Christian life, personally, the real me is at home. When nobody else is there, but me and my wife and the four walls. That's the real you. The two cats. And the two cats. <laughs> well, the two cats, they're awesome. They love me anyway. I can do anything to them. They don't care. As long as I feed them and give them water, they're happy. But the re see, it, what's really good to understand is when I'm home, it's the really where I should evaluate how my how am I behaving. Because that's the real me. Because now we can let the God down, right? I got the signal. Hold on. <laughs> All right. How many? How many of us can honestly say we're just like we are at home as we are when we're in church? Can anybody say that it's like that? Well, that's what maturity is all about. Well, you could be yourself and the same person in church, the same person at job at the job. You don't have to change your colors at different places. Right. You're the same person here. You're the same person on the road. You're the same person in the store. You're the same person next to your husband. You're the same person next to your kids. You're the same person everywhere. That's what maturity is all about. That's what's integrity. You're the same no matter what. And that's something that takes time to, to, to get. But the first place to start when you want to do it is at home. Because that's the real you. It all starts from there. You know it as well as I do. You have a rough morning in the house. And you go outside, it starts to, it just goes with you. Mm -hmm. That day goes, starts to go with you. You're having a bad day from jump. Mm -hmm. But if you're at home, like every morning I get on my knees and pray with my wife, and I know, I already know, because I, I, can, I can sense the attacks are going to come. Because, you know, the ministry's trying to grow, the church is trying to get it, and uh, things are happening, and the devil's not happy. So when the devil's not happy, he comes and hits us, bombards us with these temptations. And this wants us to get angry and irritable and, and like and show our true the, the, the flesh. And it's ugly, you know, and you get mad at yourself and it's showing it. Because you don't want to show it anymore. But the devil just, he's like a, like a little pick. Pick, 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 pick. Until you actually spew it out. That's why when we come to church, like you said, I need to get a reprieve from me. 
Right? I need to get a reprieve for myself, never mind the people out there. Because we're just like them, really, if you think about it. We ain't no different than the people out in the world. Well, there's only one thing that's different. We have Jesus to help us, to encompass us, to start doing right. They don't know any better. They just keep going off into that direction of selfishness. So that's, what, that's the beautiful thing. So let's just see what it says here. Human anger, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror, you see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. Right? You look in the mirror, you got this big, whatever, big booger or something, this thing hanging out of your nose, and you know it's there, and you leave it there and you go out for the day. And people are looking at you funny, like, you don't, they don't know. You get this big booger hanging out of your nose. And people are afraid to tell you, but, you know, hey, blow your nose, buddy. But, but it's just like sin. You see the stain of your sin in the mirror, right? But then you walk away and you leave it there instead of trying to get rid of that sin. That's what he's trying to say. But you're only fooling yourself. But if you look carefully into the perfect law of the word that sets you free, and if you do what it says, see what it says? And you forget, and you don't forget what you heard? How many of us forget what we hear? We forget what we hear, right? Thank God we get the, um, the daily walk where we come and listen to it and listen to it and listen to it and listen to it. We get bits and pieces of it. Sometimes I, can't, I couldn't tell you what it was about. But you don't think it's coming in, but it is getting retained. Because in a situation, it'll come back to memory. The Holy Spirit will bring it back to you. But when it comes to, like, for yourself to get, like, let me see if I can remember, it doesn't work that way. It's, already, it's being stored for the day you need it. Not for when you think it should be coming out. Like, like to me, like thinking I'm a scholar or being proud about it. You know, oh, I can quote the scriptures. No, God doesn't do it that way. He, lets, he, lets, he brings it to memory when we actually need it. See? Yeah, you learn something new every day. But it's getting in. It's getting in. It's getting in. Okay, look what it says. If you look carefully into the word that sets you free and do what it says, and don't forget, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and generous religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans or caring for hurting people and widows in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, this is a big one. How can Christians say that the world is not going to corrupt them if they're not in church all the time, continuously? I'm not trying to knock anybody. It's just that the world, you can't get one hour of Bible, of church, and think that the world, the rest of the week, is going to be able to not overtake you. That's why we keep coming to Bible study and reading the Word every morning, right? So we don't get overtaken. It's for our protection we do this. Big amen there, right? Some people know. Some people just don't get it. But you just have to accept it, right? All I know is this. You know, you look and say there's only a few people. Does it matter how many people are here? No. doesn't matter how many people are here. That's like saying, oh, I'm not going to have it because there's only three people here. Why, those three people ain't important then? 
That would really, that would really hurt somebody's feelings. If, you know, I'm not going to do it because there's, there's only a couple of people here. Why? We're not good enough for you to keep doing it? There's actually places that won't do it unless there's enough people in there. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered, then I'm with you. It doesn't matter how many people. The angels are here with us. Amen. They're singing for joy right now. Absolutely. Amen? So it doesn't matter. The numbers don't matter. Amen. So you don't have to worry about that. But many times the devil tries to get in my head and say, you know what, maybe it's just time to not do it anymore. And then God said, what are you talking about? <laughs> When did I say in my word that you don't not to do it anymore? Yeah, <laughs> no, the devil tells you not to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Because we're on a live feed right now. I could be reaching somebody, somebody in um, somewhere. Uh, they never heard the word of God in their life. Right now, this minute, they're hearing the message about God and, going, and getting saved. I don't know. But Jesus, God said that my word always produces something when it goes out. In Isaiah 55. It always produces. So it doesn't matter. It's, go, it's reaching people. It's reaching people. It's going way beyond these four walls right now. And guess what? One body with many parts, but all part of that happening. Because if there was nobody here, then I couldn't do it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, right? All right, let's go to Mark chapter 13 now. I love the book of James. <laughs> I double, triple highlighted it. <laughs> there go. Mark chapter 13. Yeah, I think we ended in verse 32, right? Okay. Isn't this funny? Yeah. Imagine when I just looked, the, the verse 32 was missing. It was missing out of my scriptures. Really? It was like taken out of there. And I said, so I went and I hit the, the refresh thing and it came back up. Wow. That's crazy. That's the first time that ever happened. Yeah, so let's um Yeah. Let's go to verse twenty-eight so we get the context. Jesus talking. Now learn a lesson from a fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation or this age or this nation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. If you understand, when the Bible in the first Genesis, the Bible says that God spoke the world into existence. So it's the very words of God that creates. The, the words of God are what create. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. All right, before we go on, the truth that heaven and earth will disappear is all that much more believable in our age of nuclear power and terrorism, right? They can, 
This, they got stuff now that can just destroy this whole earth. Jesus tells us, however, that even though the earth will pass away, the truth of his words will never be changed or abolished. And there's actually churches that alter the words of God. They don't, they don't say it's all God. They'll say some of the scriptures are not of God. So they can twist them. God and his word provide the only stability in our unstable world. How short-sighted people are who spend all their time and energy learning about this temporary world and accumulating its possessions while neglecting the Bible and its eternal truths. People spend so much time looking at things and trying to figure stuff out instead of paying attention to the Bible that tells you everything that's out there. It tells you everything. Everything you want to know is in the Bible. Everything. However, verse 32, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So now, when Jesus said that even he didn't know the time of the end, he was affirming his humanity at that point, okay? Of course God the Father knows the time, and Jesus and the Father are one. But when Jesus became a man... He voluntarily gave up the unlimited use of his divine attributes. Right? When he was on earth, he didn't use all the power that he could use down here. No, he became human. The only time he used it is to do miracles and help people. But he didn't use it to help himself. They, they mocked him and spit at him and everything else. Look, the emphasis of this verse is not on Jesus' lack of knowledge, but rather on the fact that no one knows. It is God the Father's secret to be revealed when he wills. No one can predict by scripture or science the exact day of Jesus' return. Jesus is teaching that preparation, not calculation, is needed. And everybody's trying to figure out when he's coming back. Instead of what? Becoming like him while we're waiting. The whole idea of the process. What, what, what do we do? Become like him while we're waiting. Because if we're not becoming like him and we're looking when he's coming back, we're not going to not like when the day of the Lord comes. Remember back in the Old Testament, they wanted the day of the Lord to come. No, you don't want the day of the Lord to come. They, they were living so sinful and rebellious. And said, no, you don't want the day of the Lord to come because it's going to fall on you. <laughs> now, and look at verse 33. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on God or stay alert. Some manuscripts add in pray. Okay? The coming, verse 34, the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. What's he trying to say? If you think, all right, so I know Jesus ain't going to come back today. And then you go and start doing your sinful things. He's saying, he can come back right when you're in the middle of doing that. Yeah. That's saying, don't even try it, because you don't know when he's coming back. Don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Oof. 
So what are we doing? Well, we're waiting to become like him. So when he does come back, we're ready. Yeah. We're ready. We're saying, Gee, yeah, Lord, I've been worshiping you and honoring you. I, I'm so welcoming you coming now. But when other people, when living sinful and only for themselves, they're going to say, oh, no. I thought he wasn't coming back for a little bit longer. I thought I could do my dirty deeds and keep doing them. But Jesus ain't coming back yet. Hmm. <laughs> so, so months of, let me just say this before we move on to the next chapter. Months of planning going to a wedding, like he was saying, the birth of a baby, a career change, a speaking engagement, the purchase of a home. Do you place the same importance on preparing for Christ's return? The most important event in your life. Wow. Right? Its results will last for eternity. You dare not postpone your preparations because you do not know when his return will occur. The way to prepare, I'm going to tell you, who wants to know how to prepare? All right. The way to prepare is to study God's word and live by its instructions each day. Only then will you be ready. Everything we talk about. The way to prepare is to study God's word, right? Study God's word, live by its instructions each day, and only then will you be ready. Now, how many Christians are not going to be ready? How many people are studying God's word every day? And how many people are living by what it says? Are they going to be ready? No. That's why the church is in a mess. It's an apostasy right now. People just think, all I got to do is go to church, put money in the basket, get a message from the pastor, and I'm done. And live my life any other way. Because that's what I used to do with my other religion. Just to go, go on Sunday, do your good thing, put the money in, and then after you leave, they didn't even know what the Bible said. They didn't even talk about the Bible. It was kneel, sit, shake hands, this time, shake hands with people you don't even want to go near. <laughs> but they didn't teach you love. It was all rituals. They didn't teach you how to prepare for when he comes back. That's what religion does. They use man-made principles as commandments of God. Okay, so in Mark 13, it tells us how to live while we wait for his return. One, we are not to be misled by confusing claims <laughs> or speculative inter Let me just say that again. Number one, we are not to be misled by confusing claims or speculative inter interpretations of what will happen. We should not be afraid to tell people about Christ despite what they might say or do to us. Okay, pay attention. Verse 3. We must stand firm by faith and not be surprised by persecution. If we're getting persecuted down here, it's because we're representing the Lord properly. How about a big amen there? We must be morally alert, obedient to the commands for living, for living found in God's word. This chapter was not given to promote discussions on prophetic timetables, but to stimulate right living for God in a world where he is largely ignored. Mark 13, not to try to figure out when he's coming back, but to be ready for when he is. 
And most people take it the other way. They look into the scriptures, oh yeah, you know when the fig leaves come, this, oh it must be coming there, you know. They try to decipher all them things or find the hidden meaning in there and live like the devil. So there's no transformation. All right, let's break into chapter 14. Moving right along here. Mark chapter 14. Wow. All right. Jesus anointed at Bethany. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priest and the teacher of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. All right. Now, before we go on, the Passover commemorated the night the Israelites were freed from Egypt in Exodus 12. That's what it was. When God passed over homes marked by the blood of a lamb while killing firstborn sons in unmarked homes. Remember? The day of Passover was followed by a seven-day festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. This, too, recalled the Israelites' quick escape from Egypt when they didn't have time to let their bread rise. So they baked it without yeast or leaven. They didn't have time. On this holiday, Jewish families still gather for a special meal that includes lamb, wine, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. So they had all them festivals for what? To, have, to, to remember what Jesus did. That's why when we do stuff like this, it's to remember Advent. It's a special time to prepare your hearts, to get them in the right condition with hope, love, joy, and peace. All the fruits of the Spirit should be showing up this month. And it reminds us that's how it should be. Now, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. See, they were looking to get them, but they wouldn't do it during the Passover because the people might riot. Now, in verse 2, the Jews were preparing to observe Passover, a time of remembrance for families to celebrate when the blood of the lambs had saved their ancestors. But some of the religious leaders had another agenda for it. Jesus had disrupted their security, revealed their sham, and opposed their authority. Now they would put him away. But the world is controlled by our all-wise God, not puny politicians. Okay? God would turn the religious leader's murder plot into the greatest blessing that mankind could ever know. Another lamb would be slain, and his blood would save all people. When grief or disaster seems to be dominating, remember that your life is in God's hands. And remember what Jesus did for you. Big amen there, right? All right, verse 3. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating or reclining, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. That why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages, or 300 denarii. A denarius was equivalent to a laborer's full day wage. And the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. Why would you do that? Right? 
in verse 4 and 5, where Mark says some of those at the table, John specifically mentions Judas, John 12, 4 to 5. Judas's indignation over Mary's act of worship was based not on concern for the poor, but on greed. Because Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry and had embezzled funds, John 12, 6 tells us that, he no doubt wanted the perfume sold that he could benefit from the proceeds. Oh my gosh. Right? Boy, he was a shyster. But we have to understand <clears throat> now, we have to understand this one fact. Why did Jesus still have him walking alongside of him? Well, there's going to be people like that walking alongside of us, too. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's, just, it's, it's like the wheat and the weeds grow together. So it, he's saying, like, you have to accept everything that God puts in front of you. And I'm the one I'm judging. <clears throat> because if, that, if, if he didn't sell them out, then do, 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 that wouldn't, this, this, that's what had to happen for Jesus to save us. Judas had to, somebody had to betray him. So really, really, everything, what, what the point is, everything that happens in your life, there's a fact, there's a real reason for it. Everything that happens in your life, Jesus does for a reason, to show you something. And when we look into it, we can find out what he's trying to show us, instead of what? Getting mad and rejecting it. He's trying to show us something in our character that needs, to, needs, to be, needs attention. And we usually reject it. But every single thing has a meaning and a purpose in it in the believer's life, and God has his hands in it. We shouldn't reject any of it. And we got a lot of growing up to do because we reject a lot of it. We really do. I mean, people at work, people on the road, put somebody in front of you, next to you, whatever. We reject it, right? But God's the one who sent it. Instead of saying, thank you, Jesus, we're like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why are you going to put these people in front of me, Lord? <laughs> then Jesus says, I'm only putting you in front of you. Who do you think I'm putting in front of you? Putting yourself in front of you. And when you say that, why well, you, you can't stand that person, right? No, you can't stand yourself. Because when, when Jesus shows us our sin nature, it's ugly. It's horrendous. I didn't know I had a sin nature until after I got saved. I thought that was just the way you're supposed to live or do, whatever. But after he shows it to you, you say, wow. And you don't know how powerful it is until you try to say no to it. When you want your pound of flesh, it's hard to say no to it. All right. Verse 6. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? Right? Don't you think he was worth it after all the stuff they seen him do? Yeah. Like he was uh, Judas, right? <laughs> you will always have. Now listen. Here's the country that says we're going to try to solve the problem of poverty, and Jesus says right here that you will always have the poor among you. There is no cure for that because God put them there. We'll always have the poor among you. You see what it says? Then it says, and you can help them whenever you want to. 
but you will not always have me. So God puts the poor in, right? And he puts people that are good riches to what? Help the poor. We don't reject them, we help them. Now, in verse 6 and 7, Jesus was not saying that we should neglect the poor, nor was he justifying indifference to them. For Jesus is teaching about the poor, Matthew 6, Luke 6, 14, everything. Jesus was praising Mary for her unselfish, her unselfish act of worship. The essence of worshiping Christ is to regard him with utmost love, respect, and devotion, and be willing to sacrifice to him what is most precious to us. Remember what King David said to the king when he wanted to offer him the, the, the sacrifice? King David says, I will not offer anything to God that hasn't cost me something. Because there's people that sacrifice, but it's not, it ain't hurting them. They're giving, but it ain't hurting them. When they're saying, well, I really was, say I was, I was saving this to buy myself something. And then the Holy Spirit confronted you and said, I want you to give that to the church. But I've been saving this for two or three years to buy that. No, I want you to give it to the church. And then you'll see if you say yes or you say no. But we all have a choice. But you know it's the Holy Spirit when, it's, when you get that nudge. But what's more precious than money? Time. Your time is more precious than the money. Giving God your time. How much time do you give God? That's the question. Do you give him five minutes in the morning, oh, pray quick and go? Or do you, or do you, do you give him the best of you? When you get into his word to study it, you really want to learn and absorb it. We all fall short there. Let's face it. Sometimes it just becomes a ritual because we're so busy and wrapped up in life. But God understands. But thank God of his mercy and grace, right? We love the Lord. <laughs> all right, look at verse 8. We have to close. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. See that? That was, the, that was the preparation for burial. They used to anoint them with all kinds of perfumes and stuff. That was like the embalming. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Wow, imagine? That's so important. In verse 3 to 9, Matthew and Mark placed this event just before the Last Supper while John placed it a week earlier, just before the triumphal entry, right? It must be remembered that the main purpose of the gospel writers was not to present an exact chronological account of Christ's life, but to give an accurate record of his message. Because there's people that try to say there's contradictions. Well, he said it in Mark that it was this time, and in Luke it said it was here. And then it said, um, one of them said Jesus was carrying his cross, and another one said Simon carried it. So they try to find a discrepancy in there. They try to try to say, people see things differently, and they explain it differently. You can, you can, you can be with the, some person looking at something, go to the same place, and they tell you what they saw, and then when you tell them, you saw something different. You'll tell them a different way. But you both saw the same thing. But it, it just comes out different. That's why, that's why the, the diversity of the apostles, Mark, Matthew, looked at different accounts for different crowds and their different interpretations and what people see. 
A doctor sees it this way, a tax collector saw it this way, a fisherman saw it that way. So then he could reach all the people from the diverse groups of life. A lawyer could see it, you know, a doctor could see it from that, you know, that smart intellectual look, and a fisherman could see it from that rugged, rough look, and the tax collector could look at it from the corrupt look at it. So you can see the whole picture from different viewpoints. And people just say, oh, there's discrepancies in there. But there's not. Right. Okay. Christ's life to give an accurate given. Matthew and Mark may have chosen to place this event here to contrast the complete devotion of Mary with the betrayal of Judas, the next event in both Gospels. That was the next event. What Judas said then, the next event was his betrayal. And we're going to get into that when we get back. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So when we get back together, we're going to go into verse 10. So highlight it. We're going to stop there, okay? Wayne, come up and close us. So Bar has a prayer. Lord, bless all my brothers and sisters. Fill us with your spirit. Give us all peace, grace, and mercy. Lord, we ask you to mold and shape us to be more like your son, Jesus. And Lord, most important, let's all take the bitterness out of our hearts and fill it with love. Yes. 1 Corinthians 13, love. Yes. Remember, my brothers and sisters, we all, we all walk by faith, not by sight. Yes. Love is what we all need in this life. It's too little, too late. When, it's, when, when you let the devil into our hearts. Give us all safe travel and mercies, and may God bless us all. Amen. 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 All right, thanks, buddy. All right. All right, thanks, everybody. We're going to watch a video.